Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. It is my honor today to take you back to high school with me. Right after God saved me in high school, I had experienced him, but I still had like questions about him and about faith and about Christ. And when I was 16 years old, somebody handed me this tattered copy of an old book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It radically, radically influenced my faith and just gave me this rabid desire to like know God with my mind and not just my heart. And today, lots of years later, it is my honor to welcome author, pastor, and profound influencer of my personal life, Lee Strobel. Will you please put your hands together and give him a warm Lake Point welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is such an awesome church. It's such an honor to be with you. Uh, Although I gotta be honest with you, say I'm glad to be anywhere after what happened to me in Little Rock, Arkansas. I went to Little Rock to speak at a charity event, and this pastor picked me up from the airport. And he's driving me to the event. We're chatting along the way. He said, yeah. He said, I I told a young woman in the church, I said, Lee Strobel's going to speak tonight. She said, oh, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ, is he still living? (laughs) So I'm glad to be anywhere. I'm glad to be alive after that kind of thing, but especially at this great church. And um, I, I am now, I'm proud to say, a new Texan. Uh, we have moved to Texas. Yeah. All, all smart people end up here. It just took me a little bit longer than you, so I'm not quite up there. But anyway, my wife, Leslie, and I moved to Houston to be near my uh, daughter and her husband and our two oldest grandchildren. And they have become total Texans. My grandkids, oh my goodness, my little Abigail, one night at dinner, she said, can I pray for dinner? We said, sure. So this is what she prayed. God is good. God is great. Thank you for the Lone Star State. So <laughs> true Texan, true Texan. So, but you know, I'm from Chicago. I don't know anything about Texas. So I, I, I went on Amazon. I bought a book called How to Talk Texan. There's a book. You can, you can read it. And I learned a lot that you all probably, probably already know. First thing I learned the difference between y'all and all y'all, that all y'all's plural, which makes total sense when you think about it. I just never thought about it. But the thing I learned about talking Texan that I liked the most is that in Texas, if you want to say thank you to someone, you can say thank you, or you can say, I appreciate you. <laughs> I love that. I think that is so nice, so warm. I appreciate you. And that's what I want to say to you. I I appreciate all y'all is what I want to say. I appreciate you. Appreciate you being here this weekend, taking part of your weekend to honor the Lord and and, uh, open his word and talk about what I think is a really important topic. 
But I want to begin by what is going to sound like kind of a strange question. Here's the question. On the 4th of July, did your dog hide under the bed? There's a very good chance he did. And the reason is one-third of dogs have a form of phonophobia, uh, which is a fear of fireworks. And so they don't like the sound of fireworks. They hide under the bed. And did you know that more dogs run away from home on the 4th of July than any other day of the year? Now, we may think that's a little odd to be so afraid of the sound of fireworks. But you know what? Human beings have their own phobias as well. For instance, some people have what's called triskaidekaphobia, which is the fear of the number 13. Some people have omphalophobia. That's the fear of navels. Uh, there's turophobia, which is the fear of cheese. I understand not liking cheese, but some people are actually afraid of cheese. Um, globophobia is the, is the fear of the sound of balloons popping. Uh, this next one I've got, nomophobia, which is fear of being without cell phone coverage. That's, you know, we relate to that one. There's even phobophobia, which is a fear of developing a phobia. So we all have some sort of phobia, some sort of fears. And the Bible talks about an extremely prevalent fear that most people don't want to admit that they have. And it's the fear of death. The fear of death. Hebrews 2, chapter 15 actually says we can become enslaved to the fear of death. Even King David at times was afraid of dying. In Psalm 55, he describes how his enemies were harassing him. And in verse 4, he says, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. So even though you may not want to dwell on it, it might be that the fear of death is your secret biggest fear. One psychiatrist from Stanford University said, we can never completely subdue death anxiety. It's always there, lurking in some hidden ravine of the mind. I remember when I was an atheist, as I was for much of my early life, and I used to think that when you died, it was sort of like closing a refrigerator and the light goes out. That's it, you're just snuffed out of existence. And that actually is a very frightening thought to have. Now, the Old Testament says in Ecclesiastes that God has planted eternity in the human heart. Now, the Hebrew there is a bit obscure, but most scholars say this refers to God giving us a desire to live forever. And as a result, a lot of people try to somehow achieve immortality apart from God by leaving a legacy or leaving some sort of mark on the world through their achievements. Well, as you heard, my latest book is called The Case for Heaven. A journalist investigates evidence for life after death. And most of the book is about the evidence of science, philosophy, uh, theology, history, and so forth that points to the reality that there is a literal heaven, there is a literal hell. But I have one particular chapter about the fear of death. And for that chapter, I interviewed an expert on that topic. His name is Dr. Clay Jones. He wrote a terrific book called Immortal. And he told me that there are many ways that people try to cope with this fear of death. He said, first, there's denial. I mean, how many times do we leave a funeral service with kind of an unspoken attitude that says, well, too bad Uncle Bob died. Glad it's never going to happen to me. I mean, that's kind of the attitude we walk away from. We think, you know, I'm the exception. If science keeps advancing and if I live long enough, Doctors are going to cure anything that threatens my life. 
which of course is just wishful thinking. Death has a perfect record. 100% of people die. In fact, during the time it's going to take me to deliver this message, 3,710 people will die around the world. So denying death doesn't do anything. Second way people cope with death is through distraction. Jones said this to me. He said, Lee, we pay entertainers and sports stars huge amounts of money because they're valuable to us. They divert our attention from the fact that we're going to die. And then there's delay. We think if we can just eat the right foods, if we can just exercise enough, somehow we'll beat death. And yet, one demographer from Harvard University did some calculations, and he determined that even if we were to cure all cancers today, it would only increase the average lifespan in America by less than three years per person. We'll die of something else. Others try to delay death by having themselves frozen at the time of death so that they can be thawed out at some future date when a cure is discovered for what cured them. But that is fraught with problems. For instance, have you ever taken a glass of um, um, ice cubes and poured Coca-Cola over the ice cubes? You hear cracking sound, don't you? It's a crack, crack, crack. Scientists call that sonic fracturing. And that's what happens with, when you try to thaw a brain or an organ, you get that same crack, crack, cracking phenomenon. And nobody knows how to fix that. One cryonics company said, well, maybe you can glue parts back together or sew them back together. Now you got Frankenstein, frankly. I mean, that's not going to work. Another way that some people deal with the inevitability of death is through depression, especially among people who don't have faith in God. Because if there is no God, there truly is no hope. One atheist wrote this. Depression is a serious problem in the greater atheist community. And far too often, that depression has led to suicide. He said, this is something that my, many of my fellow atheists don't like to admit, but it's true. On the other hand, recent research at Harvard University shows that attendance at religious services like this one dramatically reduces depression-related deaths from suicide, drugs, and alcohol by 33% among men and by 68% among women. Because where there is God, there is hope. Other people try to cheat death by living on through a legacy, to be remembered through history for their achievements. And in a positive sense, this can prompt people to do wonderful things with their lives. They they design beautiful cathedrals. They paint incredible paintings. They write best-selling books. They... um, um, you know, have scientific discoveries. And this can motivate people to leave a mark so their name will be remembered in history. But the flip side of that is there are people who do some horribly evil things because they want their name to be remembered. I'll give you an example. Why did Mark David Chapman kill John Lennon? Well, he said it. He wanted a piece of his fame. He told the parole board, that bright light of fame, of infamy, of notoriety was there, and I just couldn't resist it. Others seek immortality through their families in the hope that their name and their memory will be kept alive through the generations. But this doesn't work very well either. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know the names of your great, 
great-great-grandparents. Anybody? <laughs> no, I don't know the names of my great-great-grandparents. I mean, and even if you did know their names, do you really care about them? <laughs> Probably not. So that doesn't work. I mean, friends, fame is fleeting. The artist Andy Warhol said, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. And then a few years ago, a TV commercial said, somebody once said, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. <laughs> they actually took his name out. Even that fame didn't last. So it's a challenge in trying to deal with our fear of death apart from God. One physician wrote in Psychology Today, I've tried to resolve my fear of death intellectually and come to the conclusion that it cannot be done, at least by me. Well, in his book, Dr. Jones, uh, who I interviewed, sums up the atheistic story of dying without God this way. He said, when you die, your consciousness will cease. Your body will then decay where, as the Hearst song goes, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle on your snout. You have no hope of reuniting with loved ones. You will never again enjoy other people or sunsets or beaches or breakers or mountains or redwoods or roses or anything else for that matter. Soon, everyone will forget you. But even if you do manage to become a footnote of history, does that really matter? Said you're really dead. So what's the answer? What's the answer? The Bible provides it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, where it says this. Jesus set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus is the answer to our fear of death. A robust view of Jesus is the antidote to that phobia. You see, in contrast to the hopelessness offered by atheism, Christianity provides the best possible outcome for followers of Jesus after they leave this world. Reveling in the presence of God, reuniting with loved ones, living without tears, without struggles, without fears, experiencing a wondrous world of adventure and excitement and exploration, finding contentment and joy and love forever. I mean, no wonder even the atheist philosopher Luke Ferry conceded, I grant you that amongst the available doctrines of salvation, nothing can compete with Christianity, provided, he said, that you are a believer. And I'm convinced it's rational to believe in the Christian worldview. It's rational to believe that, and I've written several books about this, that the historical evidence tells us that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, he backed it up by returning from the dead. We have solid historical data that he did that. And so his view of the afterlife ought to be definitive. Why? Because not only is he an eyewitness, not only did he die and personally experience the afterlife, but he's the Son of God who created the afterlife in the first place. So what he says we ought to pay attention to. And what does he say about heaven? He tells his followers in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be afraid of death. He said, trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. I love, I love that he uses that metaphor of a home for heaven. 
Have you ever traveled maybe internationally, maybe in some difficult circumstances for a long period of time, and you're on the road, you're living out of a suitcase, you're, uh, you're exhausted, and, and you begin to have this homesickness. And finally, when you get back to your home and you open the door, and then that night you crawl into your own bed, it is such a place of warmth and security and love and family and comfort. And that's the metaphor that Jesus uses to help us understand the warmth and the security and the love of what heaven will be like. Friends, that is our home. This is just a way station on the way. We're going to spend a lot more time in that home than we are in our homes here in Texas. Well, as I was writing my book on heaven, I did something kind of unusual. I got on a plane and I traveled out to Portland, Oregon to spend the day with a man who was my hero and a friend of mine and one of the greatest evangelists of history. His name was Luis Palau. Luis was often called the Billy Graham of South America, but his ministry was really global. Get this, through his ministry, through his radio shows, through his rallies that he held in cities around the world about Jesus, he told in his lifetime a billion people about Jesus Christ. A billion people. But he had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, and he was on the verge of dying. And I thought, if I'm writing a book about heaven, wouldn't it be interesting to sit down with a friend and hero like that and hear what's their perspective when they're on the threshold of passing from this world into the next. And so I asked Luis, I said, Luis, do you fear death? And he thought for a moment, he says, no, Lee, I really don't. He said, I'm so convinced from scripture that after I close my eyes for the last time in this world, I go immediately to be with God. He said, the apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he told me about how his father, who was a devout Christian living in southern Argentina, died when Luis was just 10 years old. He said, just before dying, his father suddenly sat up in bed and began to sing a hymn about heaven. Bright crowns up there, bright crowns for you and me. And then his his head fell back on the pillow and he pointed upward and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus. And then he quoted the words of Paul in Philippians when he said, which is better by far. And he said, Lee, my father taught me how to die with a hymn in my heart and with scripture on my lips. And indeed, that is how Luis passed from this world a short time later at the age of 85. But you see, it was Jesus Christ who liberated and released Luis and his dad from this fear of death. And Luis told me it would be Jesus who he wants to first see when he enters into paradise. He said, the first thing I'll do, Lee, is fall before him with a heart overflowing with gratitude and praise. And then he said, I want to be reunited with my mom and with my dad. And I want to meet all the great heroes of the faith. And he said, I I want to see the throne of God. He said, Lee, just read Revelation chapter 4. It's magnificent. It's breathtaking. It's going to blow your mind. The one sitting on the throne has the appearance of jasper and ruby. There's a rainbow shining like an emerald. There are flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. There's a sea of glass clear as crystal. 
There are 24 elders and fantastic creatures with everyone praising the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He said, how much of that is literal? How much of it is a word picture to point us towards something we can't even comprehend at this point? He said, well, I can't wait to find out. And then he said, Lee, I wish I could send you a text message from heaven and tell you all about it because I know the journalist in you would want every detail, which is true. (laughs) Friends, why was Luis able to conquer his fear of death? Was it because in his lifetime he shared the gospel with a billion people and so he feels like I've done enough to earn my way into heaven? No, absolutely not. He had confidence because of Jesus. 1 John 5.11 says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Luis was a sinner, just like I am, just like you are. But he knew Jesus went to the cross to die as his substitute to pay for all of the sins that Luis had ever committed. And Jesus offered forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace a gift that Luis had gratefully received. And that's why he has confidence. He had confidence that in a short time, he would open his eyes in the presence of God for eternity. I've received that gift. Have you received that gift? I mean, if you have, just you know, meditate on these, these verses of hope in Scripture. Like 1 Corinthians 15 that says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or one, of my, one of my all-time favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, think of that. We can't even imagine the glory and the wonder and the adventure and the joy of the life to come. And when we think of that, the prospect of leaving this world becomes a lot less onerous. We begin to anticipate life beyond the grave. And so I, I said to Luis, I said, well, Luis, this idea of a text message from heaven is interesting. I said, If you, when you're in heaven, could send a text message back to all followers of Jesus on planet Earth, what do you think the message would say? And he thought for a moment. He said, Lee, I think it'd say, go for it. Go for it. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean, Luis, go for it? He said, I mean, take a risk. Tell other people this good news about Christ. He said, remember, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin. He's your partner. Let him do his work in them. You bring them the best news on the planet, that there's redemption, that there's a relationship with God, that there's heaven, that there's an eternal party that's waiting for them. And then, among the last words that my friend Luis said to me before he died, He said, Lee, I can tell you from personal experience that when you get to the end of your life, when all is said and done, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. You'll never regret those moments 
when you were courageous for Christ. And it made me ask the question, am I being courageous for Christ? What about you? Are you being courageous for Christ? Are you praying for and seeking and seizing opportunities, even though there are social risks? Are you seizing those opportunities to bring people this good news that there is hope, there is redemption, there is eternal life? People want to know these days. We're in the midst of a pandemic. My brother died at the beginning of this pandemic. Leslie and I were having um, lunch a couple of weeks ago at a restaurant, and we got in a conversation with the waitress. She was maybe 18 years old, and she burst into tears. We said, what's wrong? She said, I almost didn't come into work today. She said, we just lost a family member to COVID. And I thought, here's a young woman, maybe 18 years old, probably never thought about death before, but now it's come knocking on her family's door. And now she's scared. And now she wants to know what does happen when I close my eyes for the last time in this world. What is the reality? How do I know? How can I be sure? Friends, people want to know. And if we ask God for opportunities to tell him the good news, he's going to bring those opportunities our way. And then the question is, are we going to be courageous by seizing those opportunities? What do you say in a moment like that? What do you say? Well, one thing you can say is something like this. You know, personally, I find hope in the pages of the Bible. But I understand the Bible's a big book. It's over 800,000 words. Would you be interested if I could summarize the central message that the Bible wants you to know in one verse? 21 words. Would you be interested? Yeah. Yeah. People, yeah. They're fascinated. Yeah. What's the one verse? What are the 21 words? And then I quote for them Romans 6.23 which says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that sums it up. The wages of sin, what we've earned, what we deserve, the consequences of the sins that we commit, the things we do wrong, and we all do wrong things. We all do things we knew they were wrong, and we did them, and we did them anyway. We sinned. The consequences, the wages of that is death, which is eternal separation from God. None of us wants that. But there's good news. Jesus Christ offers the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. He went to the cross to pay the penalty you deserve for the sins that you've committed. And he paid that penalty with his death. And then he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. And like any gift, it becomes ours at that moment. We receive it. Wouldn't it be great if everyone who's part of Lake Point Church made a commitment right now, say, I'm going to memorize that one verse, that one verse that sums up the central message of the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What if we all committed to memorizing those 21 words and then praying, God, lead me to someone who needs to hear that good news. There is eternal life. It is available. It is a gift. Are you willing to receive it? Well, then I asked Luis. I said, Luis, what if when you're in heaven, 
What if you could send a message, a text message back to everyone on planet Earth who is not a follower of Jesus Christ? What do you think that message would say? And he thought about it for a minute. He looked at me with a grin. He said, I tell him, don't be stupid. <laughs> and he laughed. You got to know Luis. Luis was one of the most winsome people. He meant it in such a, a winsome way. What was he saying? He was saying, do the smart thing. I said, explain what you mean, Luis. He said, don't pass up what God is offering out of his love and grace. Why embrace evil when goodness beckons? Why turn your back on heaven and choose hell? Why expose yourself to the harmful side effects of a sinful life when you can follow God's path of righteousness and healing? He said, don't miss the party that God has waiting for you in heaven. Friends, that's the party that at this moment, Luis, part, Luis Palau is enjoying. Friends, is it easy to die? No. My mom endured a prolonged bout with cancer before she died. But guess what? Jesus Christ walked her through that experience. And now in heaven, in a place of perfect bliss, in the presence of God, my guess is that difficult time that she had has now faded into insignificance. But it's natural that we don't want to leave our loved ones behind. It's natural that we may have trepidation over the process of dying. I get that. You know what? Jesus gets that. And that's why he promises to be with us, to undergird us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to guide us. The Bible said in a different context, but I think it's relevant here as well, in Deuteronomy 3.16, it says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Friends, when you get toward the end of your life, remember this, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Death is merely a doorway to an existence that is more vivid, more real, more fulfilling, more satisfying than anything you've experienced in this world. Jesus has flung open the gates and he's offered entry as a free gift. He said, I paid the admission. Anyone, anywhere, the door is open to all who just receive his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. But maybe you fear death because you feel like you don't know where you stand with God. You're not sure where you stand. You have anxiety because you don't know, have you done enough to earn heaven? You haven't shared your faith with a billion people, so you don't have confidence if you die, you're going to be in the presence of God. Can I tell you something? You have not earned your way to heaven. You have not done enough. Luis didn't do enough. Nobody can do enough. Why? Because forgiveness and eternal life is a gift. You can't earn a gift. The minute you try to earn a gift, it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. And what's the wages of sin? It's death. But forgiveness and eternal life is a gift. Have you received the gift? You know, the first verse I memorized as a new Christian was 1 John 5, 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for a fact. God doesn't want you in a state of anxiety or apprehension. He doesn't want you at the end of your life, you know, nervous and afraid of what is about to happen. The word of God says you can know 
that you have been adopted as a son or a daughter of the Most High, and you will spend eternity with him in a perfect place called heaven. Do you have that kind of confidence? I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're not sure, if you have any apprehension about that, if you're not sure where you stand with God, let's resolve it right now. So that when you ever have that kind of question in your mind, you can always go back and say, no, 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 no. I remember the day, September 2021, when I prayed with Lee to receive that free gift. I know I have eternal life. So let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you want that kind of eternal security, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. Just... In your heart, God knows your heart. In your heart, just say this. Just say, Lord Jesus, as best I can, I do believe that you are the Son of God. You proved it by returning from the dead. And right now, I confess the obvious, which is that I am a sinner. And I want to turn from that And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you purchased for me on the cross when you died as my substitute to pay for all of the sins I've ever committed. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you endured the torture of the cross so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we know from Luke 15 that a party breaks out in heaven, another party, whenever a sinner repents and receives forgiveness through your son. And so we celebrate with those that have just taken that step right now. And we pray for those that are still on the journey. Lord, use this great church, use books, whatever, but I pray the day will come when we can celebrate their rebirth as well. And finally, Father, we thank you for this great church that you have built. I think of the words of your son in Matthew chapter 5 where he talks about a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And I think of this metaphorical city on a hill, this Lake Point church that shines your message of hope and grace and love and redemption and justice and eternal life that shines that message all over planet Earth. We thank you for the privilege of being part of this great adventure of following you. Pray for a blessing on this place, everyone who's part of it. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our forgiver and who is our leader and who is our very, very best friend. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, 
visit lakepoint.church/digital. slash